Welcome to Soul Nectar, the podcast sanctuary where we dance in the intersection of that which is deemed sacred and profane, exploring what it means to embrace our full spectrum humanness while on the path of spiritual, erotic, emotional, and creative wholeness, liberation, and aliveness. I'm your guide, Nadine Hamilton, passionate coach and teacher of holistic sexuality, devoted somatic practitioner, earth lover, writer, and lifelong student. From my heart to yours, thank you for being here. What is the root of shame? (laughs) What a question. What is the root of shame and how to recognize its presence in our lives? So for a very long time, I learned that shame is in emotion and it's a feeling. And then I studied specifically shame with someone called David Bedrick and Simone Soul. And they had a very different perspective of shame that I'd never heard before. And the more I explored it in this new way, the more I was like, holy shit, does this resonate? So shame is a witness. Another way to say that is shame is like a lens. It's a perspective that we see through. It's like wearing goggles, shame goggles that taint how we view and relate to ourselves and other people and reality and relationships and situations. When I say it's a witness, it's an internalized witness. Something that I find incredibly fascinating is when we look at traumatic situations, what most determines the longevity of that trauma staying with you going forward has so much less to do with the perpetrator and the actual event itself. And it has so much more to do with the witness or the lack thereof. And I'm not at all bypassing or downplaying or diminishing the harm and pain and suffering inflicted onto someone by a perpetrator. Not at all, trust me. But what I'm talking about is how that trauma then stays with you long term. So different people can experience the exact same potentially traumatic situation. And how it stays with them and turns into trauma, which again is how the experience stays with you, is completely different depending on the witness and depending on how we digest and integrate that experience or do not digest and integrate that experience. So for example, let's say a little kid is being harmed or abused or bullied. And then that little kid runs to their mom and tells her what happened. The mom in this scenario is the witness. And if her reaction is one of gaslighting, downplaying, bypassing, if she's saying like, oh, well, of course they did that to you. You were asking for it or you were doing this. So of course that happened. Or if the mother says, what are you talking about? That didn't happen. Or no, it wasn't so bad or get over it, man up, grow a pair. That little kid is so, so susceptible to 
internalizing that, right? Because kids are running around as just a subconscious mind. So they're absorbing everything as truth and as the belief systems that they're forming. So that little kid is going to internalize the mother's bypassing and shaming, and that's going to become their own inner witness. So especially during that early in our developmental years, like it is so important to receive validation and to receive a witness that is loving and empathetic and compassionate and that believes in us and truly sees us. When we don't receive that, then we start to convince ourselves that there must be something wrong with us and we therefore are not to be trusted. So if we're a little kid or even an adult and we are expressing our emotions, we're expressing our truth and we're met with that reaction of you're crazy, you're bad, you're wrong, you're making it up, you're too sensitive, you're too emotional, you're too dramatic, then we're believing that there's something wrong with us and that our emotions, our inner world, our inner experience, the way in which we feel called to express is something that cannot be trusted. And so then we grow up to be teenagers and adults and we don't trust ourselves. And so we are perpetually seeking answers and guidance and permission and validation outside of ourselves because we think, well, there's something inherently wrong with me. So I can't trust my emotions. I can't trust my discernment. I have to constantly um, seek that outside of myself. I also want to say that as humans, we are mammals. We are social creatures that thrive in community and connection. So part of being human is receiving external validation. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to a point where we are so distrusting of our own discernment and we literally can't make decisions or choices or form beliefs or opinions on our own and we need that external validation, that's when shame is really controlling our reality. So some of the telltale signs of shame is inner bypassing and gaslighting, erasing our inner experience, lots of self-doubt and convincing ourselves we're wrong and we need to be fixed. It's objectifying and pathologizing ourselves. And it's also this internalized oppression and abuse and lack of diversity. So on the news and social media and just casual conversations, we talk a lot in the world about diversity and its importance. And that is a very important conversation to have. And also I feel like we lack the conversation around inner diversity and what's going on with inner abuse systems and inner oppression and inner marginalization, like psychological marginalization, like what parts of ourselves are we moving to the margins and silencing and oppressing and saying you're wrong, you're bad, and you're less than. That's what we're going to explore today. So it's attacking the outliers and anything that is seen as outside of the norm or the baseline, what we see to be like the standard. So shame 
also is mostly not general. It tends to be like laser focused on specific things about ourselves. So usually it's not just like, oh, I feel shame because I think I'm ugly. It's shame specifically about different parts of the body or different parts of our emotions or psyche or how we operate our habits and patterns. It's very specific and it like zones in on something and says, that's wrong. That has to hide away. And again, this shows up so much in sexuality. It shows up when we feel shame around our needs and judging ourselves as being too needy. It shows up around our attachment styles our habits, our patterns, our addictions, our expressions, how we move, how we sound, how we look. Again, our bodies, that's a really big one for men and women and everyone. Other ways that shame kind of forms the foundation and basis for how we relate to the world is, again, like when we don't trust ourselves and thinking that There is something wrong with us and we always need to seek permission and validation and direction and guidance from someone else because we perceive ourselves and our discernment as unreliable. Like, oh, anything that I could generate is unreliable. So I need to seek external direction. And there's nothing wrong with having like mentors or people in your life that you like to bounce ideas off of, or that you really value their opinion. But I can't emphasize enough, including in this moment, in this class, the power and importance and magnificence and beauty and divinity of your discernment and funneling everything that you ever receive, any information into your own discernment and feeling into the intelligence of your body and what your body is telling you aligns with you while also giving yourself permission to allow that discernment to evolve and a chain and change over time. It's not always going to look the same. Another telltale sign of a shamed person is compulsively, obsessively, constantly wanting to fix themselves and also failing to protect themselves. Messaging that I see is super common within the spiritual or neo-spiritual communities is um, a lot of emphasis on love and light and, oh, if you're triggered, then it's all you. It's all a reflection of you or always so much emphasis on always being very calm and very loving and very compassionate and There's a lot of beauty to being loving and compassionate and empathetic and seeing different sides of the story. And also it's equally as sacred and spiritual and divine and healed and integrated to know when to fucking protect yourself and defend yourself and create boundaries and to even be a little fierce about it. That can also be an expression of love. So someone who has extremely wobbly or um, permeable boundaries that can also be a sign of shame and feeling unworthy of maintaining those boundaries. So for me, for so long, like if something painful or harmful or unsafe 
happened. And honestly, like this still happens <laughs> on varying levels. It used to be a lot stronger in my life, but when something like that happened, not fully trusting that I was in danger or not thinking that I had the right to defend myself or to be angry or to express a boundary. So I would convince myself like, oh, I must be reading the signals wrong. I must be reading the situation wrong. And I would dismiss and downplay whatever it was that was causing real harm to me. I was erasing my inner experience and thinking, oh my God, why am I so sensitive? Why does this always happen to me? Maybe this is what I deserve. Maybe this is the best that I can do. I should be grateful that this is happening. What's wrong with me? What is it that I'm doing that is making this person hurt me? And again, maybe there could be truth to that. And also, it's not always you. Yes, everything in our reality can be related to as a lesson, a teacher, and a mirror. And also, I believe we can take that too far to the point where we are taking over responsibility for the harm that is inflicted from other people. And you are so worthy of defending yourself and creating those boundaries and saying, no, ouch, that was fucked up. I don't want this relationship in my life anymore. And that's okay. That doesn't mean I'm too sensitive or too touchy or not healed enough yet. It doesn't mean that at all. So how to get your nervous system on board with setting those boundaries and expressing your truth in a way that is unshamed. The basis of so much, including sexual empowerment, satisfaction, wellness, well-being, and authentic, liberated self-expression is safety. Primarily, what I want to talk about is safety in the nervous system. The more you I don't love this term, but work on your nervous system and have a strong and flexible nervous system, the more easily you are going to have deeply enriching, vibrant, fulfilling, dynamic relationships in your life, including with yourself. Like Nervous system work really is everything. I don't care what you're doing in your life. It comes back to the nervous system, whether that is changing jobs, starting a new career, starting your business, showing up on social media, setting a boundary with a family member, having the sex you actually want to have, calling in your life partner. Like if your nervous system is not strong, it is so much harder to get the things that you want to get in life. Because your nervous system is associated with, again, that feeling of safety. It's so fascinating to really uncover the associations that we have made neurologically and also in the nervous system. For example, we might associate sexuality and sensuality and pleasure with being um, unlovable and unworthy and unsafe. We might associate surrendering to orgasmic pleasure with death or with like this deep ancestral feeling of I'm never going to belong. I'm going to be ostracized. 
I'm like, I literally have sweat dripping down my thighs right now. (laughs) We might associate um, saying no to a family member, again, with this deep sense of dysregulation and lack of safety and anxiety. So uncover the different associations that you've made and strengthening the nervous system happens greatly through exposure which is not always very comfortable. (laughs) It's pretty fucking cringy actually, but I also want to say that, no. Okay. We're going to start here. So how to strengthen your nervous system is by proving to yourself that you can survive something and that you're safe. So we do that by leaning into our edges and notice I'm saying leaning into your edge and not like fucking blasting off through your edges or exploding your edges. We don't want to do that and re-traumatize ourselves or overload our nervous systems. No, you don't want to push this or force this. You want it to be done over time, slowly, but surely. So notice what's that thing that you know you really want to do, but you've been putting it off because it scares you a little. What's that conversation that you know needs to be had but it scares you. What's that shift or change or transition that you feel is going in the direction of where you want to go in your life, but it feels like the unknown. It feels unsafe. It feels like you wouldn't be able to be in control and notice what would be a nice baby step to lean into that edge and then come back to safety, lean into your edge, regulate your nervous system, lean into your edge, come back to safety and regulation and the parasympathetic nervous system. So a practical thing that this could look like, let's say you are starting a new business and you want to put yourself out there with social media marketing. So this could look like you posting something online that feels edgy or vulnerable. Again, not too too much in a way that's going to like re-trigger you and re-traumatize you, but just enough that it feels a little cringy and uncomfortable. Letting yourself feel the cringe and feel the discomfort and then resourcing yourself in pleasure or celebration or something that feels really good so that you are allowing your brain, your body, and your nervous system to create new neural pathways and neural associations so that you can start to associate you vulnerably sharing your truth and being seen and exposed and putting yourself out there with pleasure or with connection or with celebration or joy. This this is why self-celebration is so huge when you're doing scary things or you're rewiring your brain. Let's say another example could be like, let's say you have a lot of sexual shame Specifically, you have a lot of shame around freely vocalizing and using your voice during sex, whether that's like moaning, making sounds, just using your voice. So in a solo self-pleasure, self-touch practice, you can rewire your brain by doing that thing that feels edgy and scary, using your voice, expressing yourself through sound, and then resourcing yourself in pleasure and safety. 
So that can look like therapeutic touch and caressing yourself. It can look like lighting some candles or doing something that feels really nourishing or beautiful or celebratory. It can look like calling up a trusted friend afterwards and celebrating your self-pleasure with them. If you don't have friends in your life who celebrate your self-pleasure, I definitely recommend getting those relationships. We can talk about this more openly. But again, like proving to your subconscious and your nervous system that you can survive it and you can thrive and feel good when you do that thing that feels really shameful or scary that is what expands your nervous system and strengthens your nervous system. And that's when fear and shame no longer play such a huge role in your life. Because now your body is like, oh, that thing that I felt so resistant towards actually wasn't that bad. It wasn't, it didn't kill me. So be very intentional about the relationships and environments that you interact with in your life. How do you most desire to be met when you do things that feel scary or new, or when you are big and you take up space and you shine your light and you express, how do you want to be met? Do you want to be met with love and compassion and celebration? Or do you want to be met with judgment and ridicule and shaming and people um, wanting you to be small? Be so intentional about that. Like, I, I cannot even tell you how many relationships I have, let's say, transitioned out of on my life path. Like, and honestly, for so long, I felt a lot of guilt around it and judgment and shame around it. And I was like, God, I can't keep any friends. Like all these people have these friends that they've been with since childhood and these lifelong friends. And I don't really have that. I have a couple, but I felt a lot of guilt around it. And then I unshamed that about myself and reclaimed it as me being so protective and intentional about the people and spaces and relationships and energy that I want to surround myself with. Because I know that my relationship to myself and what I consume and absorb on a regular basis is the most important thing in my world. So that is worthy of being prioritized. And that's not something to feel guilty about. Um, before we go into the somatic practice where you're going to uncover your own gifts and your own medicine that you're here to share with the world. First, I want to talk a little bit more about sexuality. And I also want to talk about the three keys to healing shame and successfully and sustainably and effectively unshaming yourself and your life. So shame and sexuality. Oh my God, where do we begin? <laughs> so there are so many ancient and indigenous cultures and lineages and traditions in which sexuality was seen as an integral, vital, essential part of life and a part of being human and part of spirituality and spiritual connection and enlightenment and awakening. There were and are so many traditions that celebrate sexuality. 
we can hear the word Tantra and in the Western world, we can automatically associate it with Neo-Tantra and think that it's just orgies and sex and hedonism with classical Tantra. That's not true. So classical Tantra acknowledges that literally anything in our human reality can be consciously worked with and used as a path to our own spiritual liberation, enlightenment, and awakening, including sexuality. So classical Tantra is not at all just about sexuality and pleasure and orgasms and orgies. Sexuality was like a drop in the bucket when it came to all the different practices that were taught about and are taught about. With Neo-Tantra in the Western world, sexuality is very highly focused on for a lot of reasons. But I think in the West, we have a lot of obsession with sex. And also I think the viewpoint is, well, it's a few things. It's also because of the church and European Anglo-Saxon conditioning and Christianity, like we have been so fucking disconnected from our sexuality from our life force, from our sexual empowerment, that to be introduced to a spiritual lineage that is celebratory and embracing of sexuality, I think the Western world just kind of took that and ran with it. And we're like, holy shit, like, let's just make it all about sex. So again, Tantra is one of many, many lineages that teaches us that sexuality and our bodies and our animal primal nature, our desires, our emotions, our ugliness, our cringe, our disgust, our guilt, our fear, all of this can be consciously worked with, again, for our own liberation and deep, profound, cosmic, spiritual connection. I've experienced it myself and it's fucking incredible. So this goes against so much of. Catholicism and Christianity and the church and whiteness that tells us that our desires and our sexuality and everything that makes us a human or an animal is wrong and bad and sinful. And it's something that we have to perpetually feel apologetic for and guilty about. So we receive this conditioning from the church, from the media, from our families, from the school system, from society, literally from everywhere. And so again, our brain, our neural networks love to make associations. So if every time we're doing something, we are feeling a certain emotion, feeling or sensation, those are going to be wired together and locked in. So your brain is going to believe that this action is always associated with this emotion. And the beautiful thing is neuroplasticity. So we have the power to rewire our brains and reassociate certain actions such as masturbation with literally any emotion or feeling or sensation that we want when done over time and with repetition and devotion. So for example, when I was a little girl, <laughs> when I was on my masturbation escapades, every time I touched myself, I also felt the emotion of guilt and fear and disgust. I remember feeling a lot of anxiety, 
like, oh my God, I have to do this as fast as possible and run one out, rub one out and get to orgasm so that no one walks in and sees me. And so my mom doesn't open the door and catch me. So over time and repetition, I was wiring my brain to associate my pleasure, my sexuality, my masturbation, my body, my desires, my truth with a deep somatic feeling of fear and anxiety and needing to get it over with as fast as possible. This is an incredibly common instance that I've seen a lot. And so then we grow up and we can, even as adults, we continue to relate to our sexuality and our masturbation in the same way. And so many women and humans, like every time they're pleasuring themselves, They feel a lot of tension and clenching and needing to make themselves tight. And there's like anxiety or fear or nervousness or feeling the need to rush it out really quick, or also feeling like you're bracing yourself for something to happen, something bad to happen. And this can cause a lot of confusion for people because consciously they're like, I know my sexuality is beautiful and divine. I know that My pleasure is worthy of being felt and expressed. Why do I feel this way? And again, it's because your brain has such a deep, 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 deep association between sexuality and pleasure and fear and anxiety or shame. So something that I teach and work with a lot with clients is what's the word? Unassociating, dissociating. like certain experiences with those emotions and consciously choosing what emotion, sensation, or feeling do you now want to associate with your sexuality? So again, to put it very simply, choose one emotional state that you want to now associate with your sexuality or with literally anything that you want to work on. And then as you self-pleasure or as you dance or as you touch yourself in the mirror or as you even fantasize, allow yourself to pendulate between the two experiences. So pleasure yourself and explore your body and then let yourself feel in your body the sensations of joy and love and goodness and celebration. Pleasure yourself and explore your body feel joy and goodness and celebration and pendulate back and forth, back and forth. And over time, be very patient with yourself. Your brain will fuse those experiences together and you will naturally feel joy and bliss and pleasure and celebration as you're pleasuring yourself and exploring your body. And again, you can do this with literally anything in your life. This is how we change how our brains operate. So I have some notes. Let me just see if there's anything else I want to say about that. Um, Another thing is like where we're taught to relate to our sexuality as this little box or category that is separate, a separate part of our lives. And I love to challenge that because I believe and experience that sexuality as humans is a core part of our lives. It is the nucleus of our lives. That doesn't mean we need to sexualize everything or have sex all the time, but it's the core part of our lives in the sense of eroticism, 
which to me is this deep sense of sensuality and embodiment and life force and creativity and connection and intimacy with all that is. That is sexuality. We can hear that word and automatically think, oh, that means penetration, but it's so much more than that. The connection to your sexuality, your unshamed, liberated sexuality is fuel for all of your creations, fuel for your connection to yourself and others, fuel to your vibrancy and your magnetism and radiance and confidence and literally how you feel in your own body as you're walking down the street or talking to some random person or standing up for yourself when you're negotiating your salary or asking to be paid what you deserve to be paid. That to me is founded in your sexuality. When you can feel liberated and secure and at home in sexuality or in intimacy, which is literally the most raw, naked, vulnerable, exposed act that we can experience, when you can feel safe and at home and secure and confident there, Who's to say you can't feel that in every other area of your life? It ripples out so deeply. I'm going to, I'm about to go into this deeper, but one of the ways that we unshame ourselves in our sexuality is to let ourselves be seen, which is also what most people fear almost more than anything else is being truly seen and truly exposed. It's fucking scary. It really is. I believe it's also what we're all here for, letting ourselves be seen in our vulnerability and in our emotions and humanness and also in our greatness, in our brilliance and magnificence and beauty and power. Sometimes it can actually be a lot easier to let ourselves be seen in our hurt and our pain and our vulnerability than it can be letting ourselves be seen in our joy and pleasure and celebration. We're conditioned to feel so much guilt about that. And to think that if I'm in my pleasure, then I'm taking up too much of the pie and I'm taking away from someone else, or that is insensitive to all of the people suffering or, well, my family they're not able to, or we're never able to feel this much pleasure. So I can't feel that much pleasure, right? We're always capping ourselves on how much we can really let ourselves feel and express our magnificence and beauty and greatness. So let that be seen. And again, you can take baby steps. You can start small. You can do it by looking at yourself in the mirror and doing an embodiment practice. Like if I were a fucking queen or a goddess or a jaguar or a mountain, how would I dance? How would I move? How would I look at myself in the mirror? Let yourself see it and see yourself with your own eyes. Even as you're touching yourself sexually, let it be seen. Like unashame your own vulva and vagina by literally looking at it. Look at the unseen, look at the shamed, look at the guilt and the fear and the disgust. Notice what comes up for you and don't shame yourself for all of the feelings and emotions or memories or thoughts that come up. 
but rather relate to that practice as curiosity, as if you are this curious detective of your own emotional world and landscape. Bring everything to the light. That is such medicine for unshaming yourself. And let yourself talk about it openly with people in your life that you trust. So some final points about sexuality are that the body can't produce sex hormones and stress hormones at the same time. And the more sex hormones you produce, the less stress hormones you then produce and vice versa. The more stress hormones you produce, the less sex and pleasure and connection and intimacy hormones you produce. Maybe digest that for a second because that's huge. Okay. The more stress and insecurity and shame we feel, not just around sex, but in our lives, that literally physiologically, chemically, hormonally in our bodies disconnects us from our sexuality, from our pleasure, from our sensuality, from our sense of goodness and well being. So cannot emphasize enough creating devotionally the time and space in your life to tap into your pleasure because pleasure begets pleasure. Desire begets desire. The more you focus your attention towards pleasure and desire in your life, no matter how small, literally, even if it's the breeze on your skin, the more you are training your brain to be aware and attentive to and conscious of all the other ways that pleasure and sensuality and desire shows up in your life. If you've been going through a period where you do feel disconnected from your sexual desire, start small and let yourself have like little mini baby desires. And that will add up over time. Even as you're eating, ask yourself like, what would I most desire with this food? How would I most desire to experience eating this food? Would it be putting on some cozy socks? Would it be turning on sensual music? Would it be sitting next to a window? Would it be lighting some candles? Allow your life to be the fucking temple or altar of your pleasure and your sensuality. And it's not frivolous. It literally strengthens your nervous system. It heals shame. It de-stresses yourself chemically and hormonally. And it allows you to more deeply connect to life and to pleasure and to who you are and what you came here for. So by turning your attention consciously towards pleasure and goodness and sensuality, you are lighting up the sex and pleasure hormone circuitry in your system. So savor your pleasure, savor the goodness in every way, like through touch and sound and movement and emotion. Be so aware of how it feels in your body to savor all the little tiny pleasures in your life. And this is so correlated to unshaming yourself and giving yourself permission to trust yourself and to trust that you are worthy of pleasure. You are worthy of goodness. You are worthy of feeling incredible in your life and your body and your day-to-day world. Pleasure 
is one of the most impactful antidotes to shame and stress. Okay. So three keys to healing shame. You might want to write this down or you could also just absorb it. Three keys to healing shame. Seeing, feeling, believing. Seeing, feeling, believing. All of these three things are associated with being a loving witness to yourself or to another person rather than a shaming witness who gaslights and bypasses and objectifies and pathologizes. A loving, compassionate, empathetic witness. So let's talk about seeing. When I say the word seeing, I'm not just saying like literally just looking and just seeing the surface level thing that's there and taking it at face value. I mean, truly seeing, looking at and looking into with respect and with acknowledgement and with patience and compassion and seeing not only what can be seen, but also what can't be seen. What is happening in the unseen realms? What is happening on a feeling or emotional or sensation level? And making those feelings visible and acknowledging them with a caring, loving, compassionate presence and witnessing. And being really attuned to all of the nonverbal signals and the sensory experience that's happening within you or the person that you're witnessing. So letting whatever it is that's being shamed or has been shamed, letting it feel through your seeing and your witnessing, wow, I am paying attention to this. I really want to know this. I'm curious about this because shame objectifies and says, oh, I know you and I have you all figured out. This is who you are. This is what you're like goodbye. You're wrong. I don't even care about you. I don't want to know anything else about you. Unshaming when we're witnessing and seeing something in an unshaming way is saying, wow, I recognize your subjective experience and I'm curious about it. I want to know it more. I want to discover the layers and textures and nuances of your subjective experience. I want to truly see you. And again, you can do this to yourself or you can do this to other people. That is true seeing when you see what's beneath the surface, what's really going on. The next point is feeling. So to combat shame, we need someone or ourselves to be moved by the experience. That is like the next level of seeing something is being moved by it and really feeling it, letting it have an expression. We need to feel that the unshaming witness can empathize with us and can imagine what it would be like to have that experience. We need to be witnessed with like deep, deep compassion. So Shame says that our emotions and experiences are not important and they should just be dismissed. And we need to feel like our story and our experience and our emotions mean something. That's such like 
a core part of being a human is meaning and significance and feeling like we mean something. Our presence, our existence, our actions, our beingness means something. That is so validating, like truly on a soul level. There's like, that is truly being seen when we feel like our experience matters and it's worthy of being seen and heard and felt and expressed. And trusting the legitimacy of our inner worlds instead of bypassing it and saying, oh, I was overreacting or I was too sensitive. We need that validation. And then finally, believing. So shame disconnects us from believing in and trusting ourselves. And when I say believing in, I don't necessarily mean like, mm, for example, let's say someone is expressing to you something really hurtful or stressful that they experienced. Like, When you are being an unshaming, loving witness and you are believing in them, that doesn't mean that like you need to check for, I don't know, factual information and factual accuracy to what they're saying. No, it's believing in their subjective experience, believing in the truth of their story and their experience and their feelings. You don't have to agree with it, but can you believe in them and their ability to express and connect with their experience? And this also help us to feel and trust that we are precious, important, valuable, and worthy, and that we have beauty and power and intelligence and gifts and authority that is worthy of being seen and believed and supported. So our feelings and our deepest truths must be believed. And in like in my private coaching, I utilize a lot of different practices and modalities and philosophies. And I weave together a lot of different things that I have in my toolbox. And also, even if I just held space, I don't want to say just, I don't want to diminish the hugeness of this, but even if I just held space with loving, open, compassionate, unshaming presence and awareness and witnessing, that is healing. And that is something that any of you can do without any training or certification or reading a book or listening to a podcast. If when someone is like, venting to you or expressing their emotions to you, instead of giving advice, if you just witness them with curiosity and love and compassion, and you let them feel seen, you let them feel felt, you let them feel believed, that is like soul level healing and transformation and validation and growth. Like you will feel immediately a shift in their body and nervous system and also in their energy. And they will probably say to you, wow, I feel so seen. That is so deeply healing. Okay. So I just talked a lot and we are going to transition into the somatic 
practice where you are going to uncover what is your medicine? What are your gifts? What is your truth that you're here to share? Specifically, we're going to dive into maybe something that you have struggled with because when we unshame the things that feel difficult or challenging or like a struggle, even if it's a trauma, then we can come to know how our suffering can actually result in something spectacular and something that changes the world. Because big suffering and big, sometimes traumatic experiences are your system like alchemically cooking big medicine. And I want to be careful when I say that because I don't mean to say that you need to suffer, you need to be in pain, you need to be traumatized in order to have medicine for the world or in order to have wisdom and gifts. No, 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 no. And if you're someone who has been a human and had traumatic experiences, like that suffering, that pain, that darkness, that depression is cooking something that is worthy of being brought to the light and shared with the world. And it's only a matter of you being able to see it and recognize it and feel worthy enough to embody that power. You are a healer and you carry medicine for yourself and the world. Hey, lovely humans. So I'm ending the episode right here for today, but if you're interested in tuning into the full replay of the masterclass, then head to the show notes and I'll have a link for you there to sign up for instant access. And inside of that replay, you will hear my own personal story and experience with shame around self-pleasure and sexuality. And I also guide you through some really powerful embodiment practices and a meditation, a somatic exploration of rewilding and tapping into your primal animalistic version of yourself, and also a practice for discovering the gifts that you're here to share with the world and to meet your own inner healer. So I chose to do it this way because these practices and those sharings feel more raw and personal and intimate and sacred, and I didn't want to just blast it publicly on my podcast. So if that does interest you and you want access to the full replay and all of these amazing practices, then again, you can head to the show notes and click the link there. I hope you loved this episode. And if you choose to sign up for the full replay, I hope that you get so much out of these practices. Congratulations on making it to the very end of a podcast episode. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Make sure to leave a rating and a review to support the show and help more lovely souls like yourself to discover these conversations. It really makes a massive difference. If you screenshot your review and you email it to Nadine at bloomwithnadine.com, you'll be sent a free transformational masterclass as well as a chance to win a private somatic coaching session with me. If you got something out of listening, remember to send this episode to your friends, lovers, and family, and to share it on your social media and tag me at Bloom with Nadine. I would absolutely love to hear how this landed for you. I'm sending so much love, and I hope to meet again in the next episode.